Hey, it's Jackie. And today I want to talk about God's people being condescending. Yes, condescending. Not in the way we've come to understand that, to be patronizing or to act superior. Not that way. But rather in the manner in which the word used to mean. That's what we're talking about today. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Welcome back. Condescending. What did it used to mean? Well, I'm going to share with you a definition, but as I do, I'd really like for you to try to envision it. Put put the image in your mind, because here's what it used to mean. It meant to step down with someone, to join them in their moment of vulnerability, and lift them up on their feet, and climb out of that moment together. That's what it used to mean. And the first time I read that, It just made me cry because it's such a beautiful image. But more than that, I've recognized it. I have experienced it. And I suspect you have too, right? Someone has come alongside us and helped lift us up and walk out of the pit together. It's interesting because in scripture, there's a word, paraclete, um, that means something very similar to condescending, the idea of that. To be a paraclete is one who's called beside another, called to aid another. And I'm guessing, since most of you who listen to this podcast are Christians, that you're aware that Jesus called the Holy Spirit our paraclete, right? Our comforter, it means comforter, advocate, encourager. And that that naming, that word about the Holy Spirit is found in John chapter 14 through 16. And if you recall that setting, Jesus has just told his disciples that he's leaving, and they freak out. And quite frankly, I would have too. And can you just hear them talking to themselves and to Jesus, like, hey, Jesus, like, we, we, we gave up everything to follow you, and, like, we really thought you were the answer, like, the king and the kingdom, and, like, we want to sit at the right and left seat of you, like, no, no, Jesus' kingdom, where are you going? And it's in that context of great fear when they're freaking out that Jesus says, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, dudes and dudettes. And by the way, I want to remind us when we talk about scripture and Jesus and who's with Jesus, we need the dudettes there. Because unless it specifically says otherwise, women were included. And we need to paint women back into our stories, right? We read the scriptures and we see the 12 disciples and we automatically have an image of maleness, and yet the women are there. So Jesus says, dude and dudettes, yes, I'm leaving for a while. And while I'm gone, you're to keep at what I've been doing down here, right? Like bringing forth kingdom society on earth as it already is in heaven. They are still freaking out. 
And so he continues to tell them, hey, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending you another, another just like me, the paraclete, the spirit. She, the spirit, and yes, you heard me. I said she for multiple reasons. Hold on. Don't pause there. Don't hang up on me. Don't let go. Just hang on for a second. One of the reasons I call the Holy Spirit a she is because I want to push us to expand our understanding of who God is. Even though we know that God is neither male or female, and we know God is spirit, all of the pronouns in scripture tend to, tend to talk about God um, as a male. And so whether we realize it or not, we kind of walk around with this male image of who God is, right? We even have metaphors like father and son. Um, and, but the scriptures actually talks a lot about God as a parent, both in mothering and fathering. And I think it might be helpful for us to sometimes stop and noodle. What does God as mother look like? How does that express itself to all of creation? So that's one reason, just because I want to expand your vision of how big God is, but also because Will Gaffney, in her book, Womanist Midrash, argues that the Holy Spirit that's mentioned in Genesis chapter 1 is feminine. Now, don't get me wrong. The word God, in the beginning, God, that's Elohim, and that's a masculine pronoun. But when we get to the word spirit, it actually is feminine. So it deserves a feminine pronoun. But the translators kind of freaked out over that because, you know, goddess worship was a thing, and so we don't want to call part of the, of the trinity a she. And so instead of she, the spirit, we have just the spirit. Now, I know that that freaks some of you out, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to suggest that you go on over to Jackie Always Unplugged Facebook group page, and I'm going to post what Will Gaffney said, her explanation, and you can kind of think it through yourself. But for me, that's enough of theology. I'm going to call her she the spirit for right now, just because it's freaking us all out. She the spirit. The scripture says that she'll come upon us, that she will be with us, and she will be in us. And the spirit says that when she comes, she will bring peace, supernatural peace, love, joy. She will fill us with her fruit, it says in Galatians 5, through 23, which I take the fruit of the spirit to mean bringing forth life and flourishing in us and through us and beyond us. So yeah, we have this one who condescends with us and in us and for us right there in scripture. And it's good to expand our understanding of God, right? Um, but I want you to know that the spirit as she, as the parkalet, is not the only time we see that word used in scripture. We tend to think of the spirit as the paraclete, and we um, need her. And yes, that's true. But did you know that the scripture also calls us the same thing? In 2 Corinthians 1.4, it says, Blessed be the God who advocates, that's the word paraclete, for us in all our suffering, so that we may be able to advocate, there's that word, paraclete, for those who are in who are in any suffering with the same advocacy with which we ourselves are consoled by God. So 2 Corinthians 1.4 tells us we are advocates, right? We are comforters. We are encouragers. We are to come alongside, right? It's our role and our responsibility through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus did this, didn't he? 
this idea. Think about how he stepped in and stepped down and lifted up when people were vulnerable, grabbed their hand and walked out together. Think about all the stories you know about Jesus. He advocated like crazy for women, guys. I mean like crazy, and I could put men and women in there, but hey, you know me. I'm going to center on the women, like the woman at Simon's house. He was condescending, but in a good way, right? The dude, Simon, thought he was superior for sure. I mean, he is rolling his eyes. He's a gasp, but Jesus, he doesn't see her that way. He sees Simon. He glares at Simon to the point where it probably hurt. And he condescends, if you will, in a good way for her. He steps down with her, joins her in her moment of vulnerability, lifts her up, metaphorically speaking, and climbs out with her. I knew I liked this Jesus guy. He's very condescending. We're all called to be imitators of Christ, right? So we, God's people, need to learn how to be condescending in a good way. So I'm going to take a break, and when I come back, I want to brag on how condescending my husband is. But before I do that, let me give you a moment to noodle on. How has Jesus stepped down with you and joined you in your moment of vulnerability and lifted you out? How has that, how have you experienced that? And then I also want to ask, Who in your life has imitated Christ in that same way, been very condescending to you? Okay, so I'm back with my husband, Steve, and I have no idea how this is going to go. We've got two eights on the Enneagram here recording. And I want to start out by bragging on my husband, Steve, because he can be real condescending. And I know that's making some of you out there who know him laugh like crazy. But I want to share a story about what do I mean by my husband being condescending. Um, In 2006, I think it was, my son Hampton, he's my middle son, who's like Dennis the Menace on caffeine, and he got kicked out of school. And it was a week before I had to attend my first year of residency at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And when he got kicked out of school, I was like a mess. I mean, I didn't know where we were going to put him to finish out the school year, and how was he going to handle this, and how were we going to get things done, and my brain was mush. You know, when, when your kids aren't well, mama's not well. It's just the reality. And so I was just a mess. And so I said to Steve, I'm not going to my doctorate. And he looked at me, and he said, like hell, you're going. We're not letting this kid or anything else get in the way of what God has for your life, Jackie. You're going. And that was it. That's an example, I think, of stepping down and walking one out. It can really be that simple, dreaming dreams for us when we can no longer dream them for ourselves, right? We need that. It's really that simple, although... Not really that simple, right? At least not on his part, because I got to get on a plane and leave it all behind. Meanwhile, he was left home, 
And he was on staff at a mega church running a huge staff. It was no light job. And Hampton was no light job. And now he's got to figure out what school he's going to and how he's going to get him there and how he's going to drive him back and forth. And he's got to feed the other two children also and take care of them in the middle of this and make sure their school projects are done and the laundry and you get the picture. So he served so that I could flourish. And we need that. I would argue we need a whole lot of condescending in our lives, don't we? But here's the thing. Not only has Steve advocated for me, I mean, he has pushed me to places that I never wanted to go. And if it weren't for him and Jesus, I definitely would not be in this line of work of reshaping our view of men and women in the church. And by the way, speaking of that work, if you'd like to check some of that work out, you can go to my website, themarcellaproject.com, and check out the different things that we do to ennoble women and men. And also, if this podcast has been helpful to you, I would ask you to send it to a friend or pop over onto any platform and subscribe. Okay, back to my husband, Steve, my advocate. He's advocated for me my whole married life, but I got to tell you, he's also advocated for a whole lot of women all over the world, literally. And so I wanted him to share with you what it looks like to be a man that's really condescending to women. So Steve, I want you to tell us about how you ended up in South Sudan at this leadership conference and what you discovered. Uh, I'll be glad to do that, but I think I want to correct something first. I think what I of course said you do. was, um, <laughs> like, hell, you're going, nothing's going to stop you. If that's okay with you, dear, sweetheart, are you okay with that? That was more how it sounded, yeah, of course, sure, absolutely. I'm sure it sounded that way to me. Mm-hmm. Go. Uh, I, want, <laughs> I think it was the same year, actually, 2006, that I wound up in uh, what was Sudan at the time. Uh, I had been there actually the year prior as a board member for an East African organization, had uh, gone over just to to observe a peace reconciliation gathering of pastors. Uh, It turned out that pastors um, actually had a lot to forgive each other for after 50 years of war in Sudan. And it was quite remarkable. And so uh, through that interaction, I was asked to come back and spend some time with those same pastors in 2006 in Sudan, um, helping them to brainstorm, helping them to think through, you know, when a country's been at war for 50 years, um, uh, things are broken. So Sudan was a place with, with one surgeon for the entire country with no roads, really, no electrical grid, no way to get clean water unless somebody put a borehole in the ground. Um, it was, it's a broken place. But these pastors had one thing going for them. They often had a satellite phone, and they had a connection to some kind of uh, institution uh, uh, across the water that had access to money. And so, you know, bringing them together and helping them brainstorm could perhaps yield something for this country that had been at war for 50 years. So we brainstormed for a week. They came up with all kinds of great ideas about things they wanted to do. And you have to understand, these are people who brainstorming was typically, how do we get through the night? Right. Um, right. Uh, will we be alive when we wake up in the morning? It wouldn't be dreaming about the future. No, no. <laughs> will, will, will I look over and find one of my children dead or et cetera? I mean, this has been their experience since forever. And uh, so to, to brainstorm uh, was a lot of fun. Uh, at the very, very end of that experience, on the last day when each of the teams were sharing their, their goals and their dreams, a little old man raised his hand and just said, this has been a complete waste of time. Um, 
We immediately had him arrested. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, uh, it was interesting. He just said, um, we live in a country that has no access to clean water. Why would we build schools? Why would we build hospitals, churches, clinics, et cetera, if we don't have the basic, the most basic item? And so for me, it was the first time I'd ever seen a room full of pastors actually look around to each other and agree. And I knew it might be the last time I'd ever see that Sad again. Sad statement, isn't yeah, it? <laughs> I don't know if it's, but it's a reality. And so uh, we, I just felt like we, we, we needed to do something. So I just started sharing the story uh, back home. Okay, so then you started the story, you st- shared the story back home, and you actually, out of the church that we were both on staff with, launched. Well, I mean, what happened is um, uh, we raised about half a million dollars uh, to buy equipment for these local uh, pastors to form an organization to drill water wells and give water to their people, and um, they did it. Awesome. So your slogan for water is basic is now something like, I'm not. I'm going to butcher this after, oh, yes, like, I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so why don't you just go ahead and say it so I, I, I don't. I didn't know we had a slogan. You do. It's like, it's like um, water for solutions, <laughs> local solutions. <laughs> <laughs> local solutions to local problems. There it is. See, okay. you said it much nicer. I should have that down after 15, 20 years. Yeah, you're, mm. um, Okay, so you come alongside these people and you help them figure out how to solve their water issues. Um, and so you start this organization called Water is Basic. Yes. And our focus is simply to raise awareness and funding, but that the solution be local, that it be sustainable that uh, the people who are drilling boreholes are South, what, what eventually became South Sudan in 2011 or South Sudanese. Okay, so tell us, um, tell us about how water impacts women and girls. And then I want you to tell us um, about how you would have to go about um, hanging out with the elders of the village to talk about putting in a well and what transpired there? Well, I think, you know, um, it's one thing to say yes to, to a problem that's in front of you and let's do something about it. Uh, in my ignorance, I thought that water was just universally a problem for all the people in South Sudan. And when there's no water, it is. I mean, all people equally die from, from lack of clean water. But what I discovered over time is that it, in reality, it's the women who are responsible for collecting the water, boiling the water, distributing the water, washing with the water, you name it. And uh, where they hit me hardest was uh, returning to a village uh, in, the, in the middle of the dry season, so it's super hot, and going to a well and having these women gather to share their frustration that we had drilled a borehole and they had clean water, but all the other places where people were getting water had dried up, and so they were waiting 24 and 48 hours in line without getting out of line to fill up a jerry can, which holds about 20 liters of water. So I simply said, well, uh, oh, and, th- and they said, and then when we get home, our husbands beat us because they think you've been out all night. You obviously have been fooling around. And I, and I you know, um, very stupidly said, well, why don't you just have your husbands wait in line? <laughs> and that's the response I got. I mean, there was, there was laughter. There was giggling. There was, I mean, it was just the funniest thing they'd heard in a long time. Uh, I like to tell people, it's, it's sort of like saying, well, this year, you know, 85-year-old grandpa's going to make Thanksgiving dinner. That's right. It's Every, the equivalent. Yeah, people I, would be like, what? I yeah, don't think so. We're ordering in fast food. <laughs> right. um, and uh, that's when I really realized that, yes, it is a women's job. And it doesn't mean that men aren't doing anything. It's just in the context of Africa, women go and get the water and their daughters do. 
And uh, what happens when they don't have access to clean water, where when a water well breaks, is these women now have to walk another five miles to get water. Um, and we're talking a 42-pound jerry can. Yeah, it's heavy. And, and and if you have a family... I've got muscles and I can't lift it. Uh, most people can't lift it. Yeah. Um, you know, I have high school basketball uh, ba- football players, you know, try to hold it for a while and then they start getting all they're moving around and they get sore and everything. Try carrying it for five miles three times. As a girl, a, a little girl who's Absolutely. 10 years old. Absolutely. And, and that's the point is that when you have a family of, you know, 10, 12 people, you have to... Uh, drink clean water you have to eat you know cook with clean water if you don't you it's nice to wash your clothes with clean water and it's definitely nice to wash your body with clean water and when a well breaks and they have to walk in an additional five miles or so to get that um well you better take your daughters right because you need three or four jerry cans and then actually when you get back and then you've done a few other things you need to walk again and get another and then another and so what i discovered is not only does um this burden rest heavily on mothers but it often means that uh, their daughters don't get to go to school because they're pursuing water. And um, most unfortunately, uh, if you're sending a young woman out on her own, there's a really good chance that she's going to be uh, harmed uh, physically, raped. Um, Thank you. I and, was going to ask yeah. you to be honest and not cushion it. Yeah. In exchange for it, that, that's the family decision. Our daughter will be raped in exchange for having clean water. And not go to school. So therefore kind of, if you will, committed to a life of poverty because she's uneducated. Absolutely. Right. So it's just this vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell them about, I want, I wanted our listeners to understand that clean water. Wait, I think we missed something here. You wanted me to talk. Yeah, to I'm going to, oh, okay. I'm going to tie it. Hold on. Yeah. Welcome to our eights in the room together. For those of you who have dinner with us, you know what this looks like. Um, what I wanted our listeners to realize is that when we talk about clean water, it really has um, a huge impact on women and girls. And um, and I'm not sure that everybody recognizes or understands that. So I wanted to tell. And then I wanted Steve to share. So Steve starts realizing, whoa, 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 this is a woman's issue. It's, it's a human's issue. It's everybody's issue, but it's impacting women in an unusual way. And so in order to get a well-built, you, Doug, you have to go to the village and you have to meet with the, the village elder, um, who's a really old man. And so share a little bit about what you learned there and what you asked of them and how did it turn out? Okay, let me do that in a minute. But I want to get back to something here. Um, just thinking that people are, who, who don't really understand the context might say, what kind of father or mother would send their daughter to get water if, they, if there's a pretty much 100% chance they're going to get raped? And I think we have to understand that in context of dad's probably going off somewhere at great distance to generate some kind of small income, et cetera. Mom is probably walking maybe even 10 miles to get to the little plot of land to farm a field, et cetera. We are talking about all hands on deck for right. survival. And where in a family where, um, you know, I, I, if I shared with you the women that are involved in our program right now, all of them are the remaining half of all the siblings who survived, who survived either dirty water, who survived war, et cetera. So this is, this is not, you know, people sitting around under a, a tree uh, drinking beer. And while their daughter hang, heads out, it is, uh, it's a hauling hands on deck right. kind of deal. It's survival. It's survival. It's survival for the day. Yeah. It's survival for the day. So, so when you, when you provide clean water, you, you, you give a family hope and opportunity to know that their daughter might be safe. Um, and also it. enable her, because what you do is you build the wells near schools a lot of times. So then she doesn't have to walk as far. 
Yep. So then she can get the water and go to school. That's the benefit. Right. So as we started to discover this reality about women and water, we required, as we were working at, uh, in a village around a well, either drilling a new well or repairing a well, that the water committee... Now, in a, in a village, a water well is, without a doubt, the greatest asset in the community. Uh, I'm, I'm, still at, I'm still having a hard time figuring out an equivalent in our context. Um, I don't think there's one particular asset that the entire community agrees we all need to survive. Um, but in, in this context, it is that water well. And so there's a committee that usually manages it. If they can, they will collect small, small fees, like maybe two cents a day kind of thing. Uh, in, our, in order to have a savings to maybe fix the well when it breaks, et cetera. So when we were working with them, we, we just said, we're, we, we will not drill a well or repair a well unless this water well committee is half women. Because at the time, it was all male. Yeah, I mean, it just had never occurred to them that a woman should be on the committee. And it, at first, we got a little bit of a, you know, a laughter or a puzzled look, et cetera. But to be honest with you, I didn't care. Um, we're not doing it until it's half women. And I've gone to, I had gone to Wells and said, sorry, we'll be back tomorrow. Hopefully you figured it out. Um, and they'd always did because it's the number one asset in the community. What's interesting is how quickly we started to see the men go, holy cow. Wow. They're really disciplined. Um, they really manage the money. Well, Oh, they have great ideas. Um, when the well breaks, they are on top of how do we get this taken care of? They maintain, around the well, et cetera. It's just, it's just transformative um, for lots of reasons. Obviously, God made two kinds of people, men and women, and uh, when you only have half of them at the table, you're kind of, it's like hopping around on one leg. But two, um, because the women are so close to the problem, they were very, very motivated to make sure that the problem either didn't happen or got fixed right away. I love that. That's right. Take care of a woman, you take care of a whole village. That's my philosophy. Oh, wait, it's not mine. I think it's, it's been said yours, by the yeah. UN. You yeah, that's right. Okay, so the pandemic hits, and you were stuck home with me mm. for a year and a half, and it was a it was a tough we year and a half. We don't even talk about that, do we? That's not that no. Really and we both work from home, so that wasn't the change. Is that we were? Go ahead, say it. I know. <laughs> I enjoyed it actually. I thought it was a nice change of pace, <laughs> but you know. Woo! I wanted to kill him. Um. So yeah, so we had uh, quite an experience during the pandemic, and uh, during the pandemic, Steve decided to pivot. Um, and a launch a new initiative in another section of South Sudan. And it, it is, again, an initiative that advocates, um, that is very condescending to women. So tell us a little bit about that pivot. I don't know if I'd call it a pivot. I would just call it a... Um, Expansion? Mm, a new I, idea? Well, I would call it a... Uh, no shit, this is what we should do kind of deal. Why haven't we been doing it all yeah, long? Yeah, I mean, the reality <laughs> is, okay, it's one thing to say women are the, impacted by water. It's another thing to give them some uh, say in the, in, in the process as a committee member. It's another thing to make them, not make them, to uh, invite them into being the solution. So we started something called the Women's Well Repair Initiative. The idea of we will train women on the whole technology and philosophy of how a well works, et cetera, and how to repair it, and then also how to repair wells as a business. Um, as far as I could tell, I started, uh, you, know, con you know, I have crazy ideas. I always have, um, many of them really crazy. Alas, why it was hard being with him through the whole pandemic. Mm, but, um, <laughs> you know, I started reaching out to some of the people that are really experts. Uh, uh, Vanessa is a dear friend who kind of helped 
developed the whole wash, which is uh, how w water around the world is, is measured as its quality and success rate and when you repair wells, et cetera. And she said, yeah, that's a great idea. But let's ask the question, why has it not been done before? And I kept getting that. Um, so what the heck, we tried. And uh, the goal was we would recruit women who um, had the ability to learn um, the process, how to repair wells, and to run it as a business. We also had to, the beauty of working with locals is I was determined it was going to be 100% women and uh, our local team, uh, James was James Bach, who, who was just a delightful, bright, bright man, um, said, that's not going to work. You, if you do only women, it will create such a problem of why are you investing only women, don't men count anymore, et cetera. Because but, it's a very high patriarchal country. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much the case anywhere. I mean, if you went to any right. university and said, we no longer have a men's sports, we only have women's sports, you know. Right, but especially in a high patriarchal yes. country. Yeah, absolutely. And also that these women, I mean, they're walking hours out into the bush to look at a well. They can't go on their own. So uh, we recruited men and uh, trained them. Uh, we went through the first level of training, uh, about 10 out of the 25 were recruited, didn't make it. And then those that remained uh, went back to their villages and did uh, surveys and figured out there was about 1,800 wells in their local community. About 365 were not functioning properly that needed to be repaired. Uh, and then uh, I went over for our second training, finally got clearance with COVID, et cetera. And we expected to have um, these wonderful recruits come and do their second training and then finally launch them into repair. Uh, the only problem is these women, they're women. Um, they don't wait. They are on it. And they'd already repaired 99 wells. Before they even got to their second Before training. Before they'd ever been released to even do the process. Um, they were on it. They had already requested spare parts. And so uh, it was just fascinating. It was exciting to see, yes, this works. Um, they actually are collecting fees. Uh, from the local community, which everybody would tell you in a, in a country that has basically been given handouts and still 7 million out of 13 million people only survive by handouts from the world, um, that you can't require them to pay fees, but it's not true. And so what's really fun is uh, uh, Amu um, took us out. We went to several uh, well repairs that they had done in the bush. We went with Amu to uh, this one well repair. She's just a tiny little thing. She's 21 years old. Um, probably 100 pounds soaking wet, two little children at home, used to have a little restaurant. What that means is they cook something and hope somebody buys it. Mm -hmm. That's not a really sustainable business. And she was so proud to take us to this first, this first borehole where she had uh, charged them 15,000 South Sudanese pounds, equivalent of about 30 U.S. dollars to review and look at the well. You can imagine what they think when this woman comes to review and, and check out the well. And then she went through the whole process and told them, here's what it's going to cost uh, in parts to repair this well. And it was about 196,000 South Sudanese pounds, um, uh, if I remember correctly, somewhere in the $400 range. That's uh, unimaginable amounts of money. Now, what I would have expected um, would have been for the men to say, hell no. Fix the well. We're not paying. Strong armor. Absolutely. That's right. Um, instead, she said, they said they didn't have the money. She said, okay, let me know when you do. And she left. And she left. And a week later, they called and said, we've collected the funds. Now, they were super motivated. Their well happens to be in an area in the bush uh, where the fat competition happens in August. And this was July. Yes, uh, for those who are listening, fat, F-A-T, 
fat. Yeah, it's fat competition. I didn't know what it was either. Uh, I just noticed these <laughs> large wooden structures. It looks sort of like teepees, but they, you know, literally uh, 50 to 75 people could sleep underneath them. And what are those? Well, these each belong to different clans, and each clan will arrive in August. They will bring their fat person, somebody who from the clan has been sitting under a tree in the shade drinking milk for three months. And then these uh, fat guys will walk around naked while there's thousands of people have come together. And, uh, you know, the idea, I guess, is that, I mean, I don't guess, it is. The fattest, the, guy, the fattest person wins, and the fattest person is obviously the wealthiest, most eligible, eligible bachelor. Uh, by the way, if that person dies while they're trying to get fat, they automatically win. Um, and the money must go to their clan. Yeah, it's just an odd, it's it's odd as I'll get up. So but my husband's is, there and he took pictures, just let me say that. Yeah. And he showed them to me. I was like, okay, this is not the, this is the most eligible dude. Ooh, no, well, doggy. Yeah. Ooh. Um, that's Maybe we could post them on Facebook, my Facebook page, or would that be inappropriate? No, it's not inappropriate. They're on Facebook. I mean, it's a, it's, okay. it's a cultural. If you want to see the Fat Man Festival, I'll post some pictures on the Jackie Always Unplugged Facebook page. Also, I'm going to, hold on, hold on. I'm also going to post a picture of a woman who goes and does her job um, at the wells and how she manages uh, child care in, in the... Oh, yeah. 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 So she's got her baby strapped around a tree. Oh, yeah. That, 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 that was in Uganda. That's, yeah. And she's crying. The yeah. baby's crying like crazy. And a woman's getting her work done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You were going to say, the point is... Yeah, but they were very motivated to get the well fixed because they did have thousands of people coming. Um, and then, the, to be honest with you, we, the women have discovered hundreds of wells. They visited them, looked at what's wrong with them. But because it's the rainy season, when, when I was there in, in late July, um, the village had no money to make the repairs. Um, it's rainy season, the crops are planted, but they won't harvest them until the dry season. So uh, right now they're moving into dry season. And so these women will be going back with parts and repairing well after well after well after well. And, uh, you know, the excitement within the village to know every day your family can have access to clean water. Um, you're, you're no longer going to have children who are sick, potentially dying. Uh, you're no longer scratching because your skin has just been washed with dirty water, et cetera. It's, it's, the excitement is extraordinary. But the beauty, uh, I love this one statement. We have one man. He said, we used to wait three to four months to get a well repair. Now our daughters come mm. and fix them within two or three days. That's transformative. And so we are going to take this project and uh, crank it up on steroids this year. And what I love is that in the middle of this, um, without having to be... I don't know, deliberate. I mean, in a way you're being deliberate, but the men and women working together are actually delighting in what each of them bring to the team. Unexpectedly so, right? Like, like yep. they don't, they don't normally collaborate that way. And so it's not oh, like no. you said, well, we're going to make that happen, but. Yeah, it was really, I was very surprised. Maybe that's an age issue, but uh, these, young, these are all young people. Um, but they are, they are partnered up in teams, uh, male and female. And yeah, those guys, you know, I, I said to the guys, um, you are heroes to me. And they're like, why? And I go, you know, you do live in a culture where if you did not work well with these women, if you did not give over power to these women, if you did not see them as colleagues, and they use that term all the time, which is so odd in the bush, um, that they would not have this ability to succeed. Oh, I shouldn't say it. they have the ability to succeed, but they would not have the, the atmosphere in which to succeed. And it's beautiful to watch them working together. I yeah. mean, when you repair a well, you're pulling up 150 feet of pipe, and if you at any moment drop it, um, you've ruined a well forever. 
And so it's, 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 it's very synchronized and to see them communicating to each other and working together the way they do is humbling. It's almost as if that was what God intended. Yeah, kind of. Almost, kind of, maybe. Almost yeah. maybe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we probably need to close no, I mean, it up. It's, 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 it's extremely beautiful to watch and it's emotional. Yeah. It's almost mystical mm. when you see it operating that way. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, tell, tell our audience, Steve, if they want to know more about Water is Basic and particularly your female initiative. Like, where do they find you? We have a simple Besides my house. <laughs> yeah. We have a simple website. It's waterisbasic.org. Um, you'll find out information there. You can click on uh, uh, our Women in Water page and learn more about this new project. Uh, we will be remaking the website soon to, to make the focus a lot more uh, along this line. Uh, this was really a pilot. Let's see if it works. Um, we thought it was working. I put my eyes on it. It's working. And our board chairman, uh, some of our staff, we'll all be there again in uh uh, December and Madison, and your daughter, my daughter. Yeah. and tell the audience how long it's been since you've uh, been in Africa with your daughter. That was 2005. Yeah, yeah. Last time. yeah. yeah. So what a treat she gets and to go and see your work. Yeah, and she's she's just a remarkable human being who who does uh, who condescends better than anybody yeah. I've ever seen I, in my I, life. I, I without agree. A doubt. She's uh, very condescending. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> she was the other kind at some points in teenage years. But, um, I think probably she's, we she's have been too. She's remarkable, and it'll be a it'll be a real treat for for us to be there together. Yeah. Well, thank you, Steve. You know I love you, and I'm grateful to be married to you. Um, I get to see my husband do all this kind of stuff all the time where he's condescending, coming alongside people just like Jesus would have us do. Um, and I think people are doing this around the globe. And there's so many ways in which people are stepping down and then grabbing someone's hand and helping them walk out together. Um, so much that we don't get to see. But I get to see a lot of it through you, and I'm just grateful. So before I close up, I just I want to ask... Um, you to give some thought to who's been condescending to you um, who has come alongside you. And I just want to suggest that maybe you should tell them today, like text them, brag on them, praise them, like let them know it mattered. And then I want you to consider um, how you can be more condescending, how we can in a good way. <laughs> I want to encourage you to do it in a good way. How can we be like unbelievably condescending Jesus followers? Um, yeah, so today I beseech you, get out there and be con as condescending as you can be. If you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. -E. Have a great day.